0: Welcome to this edition of Development Matters, the London International Development Centre podcast series. I'm Sarah Hambly, Communications and Public Engagement Manager at LIDC. This podcast considers interdisciplinary research on current development issues. Today we will discuss the importance of using innovative approaches to evaluate development programs and evidence. In recent years, there's been increased scrutiny of international development and particularly foreign aid. For example, the recent UN General Assembly saw US President Donald Trump reiterate his country's commitment to review the US's foreign aid contributions. The UK's Department of International Development, DFID, also faces regular criticisms about the effectiveness of its aid programs from places such as the Daily Mail and Sunday Express. At the same time, the Sustainable Development Goals have helped create ambitious and multi-layered development agenda. Development practitioners are increasingly required to plan and work systematically. They also have to manage in a chaotic and dynamic world. As a result, robust evaluation of development programs is more important than ever. Against this backdrop, the Centre for Excellence in Development, Impact and Learning, settle was established in 2017. Funded by DFID and hosted at LIDC, settle is a five-year program that develops and tests innovative approaches to impact evaluation and evidence synthesis in low-income countries. In this episode, we will explore SEDL's work. We will also hear from one of the speakers in the ongoing SEDL Center of Evaluation lecture series, who gave a talk on how uncertainty plays an impact on evidence-based decision making and social policy evaluation. In the studio with me today, I have Marcella Vigneri, Research Fellow SEDL, and Matthew Dukes, Fellow and Senior Education Evaluation Specialist at RTI International. Marcella Matthew, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. One of Settle's main objectives is to establish a high quality interdisciplinary academic centre to innovate in the field of impact evaluation and evidence synthesis. Could you tell us more about this, Marcella?
1: So thank you, Sarah, for having us here today. Uh, the Centre of Excellence for Development, Impact and Learning uh, was set up, as you said, in 2017 with funding from DFID uh, to establish a multidisciplinary academic consortium tasked to address uh, knowledge gaps in the areas of what works, where, for whom and at what cost in international development programmes. The underlying principle of CEDEL is that the future development agenda should be shaped by research around four major gaps, uh, which are gaps in thematic and geographical areas, method gaps for evaluating primary studies, synthesis gaps and evidence translation gaps. Um, The purpose of SEDL is really threefold to innovate in the field of impact evaluation, to commission and implement impact evaluations, and to promote the uptake and use of evidence from impact evaluation. So in doing so, uh, it hopes to generate a step change in the rigor and usefulness of evaluation international development.
0: Thanks Marcella. Settle and London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine's Centre for Evaluation are hosting a lecture series addressing methods and innovation in primary studies. What have been some of the highlights?
1: Yes, so so first of all let me start by uh, stressing that this lecture series is a regular event that we organise roughly on a monthly basis Um, and the objective of the series is to Um, try to discuss, invite papers that discuss new methods and push the boundaries of impact evaluation, bringing up issues of general interest about methods, neglected thematic areas and policy impact. We've started this series in April 2018, and we are now uh, at the fifth of these lectures. So so the major highlights, we started out with a lecture by Howard White, our research, SEDIL's research director on the four waves of evidence revolution. Uh, so results agenda, the rise of RCT, randomized controlled trials, systematic reviews and developing an evidence architecture. We then moved on uh, with one of our intellectual leadership team members, Rick Davis, who talked about representing theories of change, where he mostly described the connections between events rather than the events themselves uh, within a theory of change, because this is seen as a widespread design weakness. In our third lecture by James Co- We talked about developing impact attribution, mixing qualitative impact evaluation with other approaches to generating evidence. And in our fourth lecture, Howard, once again, uh, gave a talk on using mid-level theory to understand behavioral change. So, the idea that mid-level theories are a concept uh, used in sociology that can help support the generalizability and transferability of study findings. And our last lecture, of course, was uh, the one that Matthew contributed to, and I'm sure he'll talk about that in a second.
0: Thanks, Marcella. To kickstart the the lecture series in 2018, Matthew gave a lecture on uncertainty and its consequences in social policy evaluation and evidence-based decision-making. Matthew, why is this a pertinent topic?
2: Well, Sarah, you you mentioned in your introduction that robust uh, evaluations and robust evidence is increasingly important in the field. Um, And I think we're recognising increasingly that you get the best quality evidence for, as Marcello was just describing, randomized controlled trials. So things like drug trials where you have a control group and um, systematic reviews where you you bring all this evidence together to to find out what works. The challenge is that many of the problems we're trying to address are, are complex. I work in education and education has many parts to it, many moving parts, and it's really hard to get really robust evidence on Which of those parts really work? And if you do, it's also a challenge to work out whether what you have evaluated and found to work works for others or will work at scale um, when implemented by, by a government. And there's... Two responses to this: you can either demand that you only act unless you have really strong evidence, but that biases us, biases us towards really simple, discrete interventions. Like there's really good inter, really good evidence on giving cash to families to promote um, school attendance, um, uh, but not so much good good evidence on the complex issues. The other response is to say, "Well, I'm not going to engage with the evidence base, and I'm just going to go ahead and do with what I think is has been working for me." But this lecture was given with the idea that there's another option, which is to help people think about evidence that is uncertain. And it it doesn't just apply to us in the development community looking at the evidence base. I think it also applies to um, individual program managers or ministers of education who will have commissioned an evaluation of some program and the results will be somewhat messy, inconclusive, and they have to make a decision about whether to stop the program or to continue with it. Um, and those people can't afford the luxury of solid scientific evidence.
0: In your paper, you and your co-authors argue that decisions should be based on considerations of both the uncertainty and consequences of all possible I- outcomes. Could you please explain this in more detail?
2: Well, I, I think that there's, um, there's two elements to this issue. One is... Um, uncertainty and one, one is the consequences of uncertainty so um, we start with the observation that all decisions are essentially uncertain even when the evidence is is good there's some uncertainty that your course of action is going to achieve the outcome so what we're trying to do is help people think about uncertainty when is it when is it a good idea to to act and, and evaluate or to wait for more evidence and the consequence issue is really the the, the issue of what's at stake if you have a for example, a large expensive program, you would want to be more certain about your action than with a small discreet one. But The other issue I think that people don't think so much about is the potential to do harm. Medicine is very good about thinking about this. Clinical trials of drugs go through several stages to rule out the possibility of side effects or um, uh, potential mortality, but we don't do such a good job in um, social interventions. So one of the things that we argue is that you should spend more time trying to be certain about ruling out serious negative consequences, ruling out the catastrophes, and then there's more option to tolerate uncertainty with with uncertain evidence. And it depends on the kind of decision too. For example, in emergencies, when decisions are ur- urgent, you may be more tolerant of, of uncertainty, or when evidence is harder to come by, when the problem is complex or ethical issues mean that it's harder to improve the evidence base you may be more willing to act a, un, under uncertainty. And thinking about the implications f- for education, on the one hand, we think about education programs as being relatively benign. No one ever died of being taught phonics. Um, but on the other hand, we can do um, a better job of assessing potential harm. You know, For example, exposing girls to gender-based violence in schools as a result of programs. And if we can rule out those negative effects, then being willing to act under uncertainty.
0: Okay, could you please explain how we should consider uncertainty of outcomes?
2: Yes, so I I think another element to this is to be more explicit about uncertainty. We need to do a better job of of thinking about uncertainty, reporting it and and measuring it, and to recognise there's lots of types of uncertainty. Typically, when we review evidence, we look at statistical uncertainty. For example, a review of education programmes might conclude that they accelerate a child's learning by six months and they'll put some bounds on it. They'll say, well, it may be as low as two months, it may be as much as nine months. That's really the statistical uncertainty that comes from uh, from a quantitative evaluation. But there's other kinds of uncertainty. Uncertainty in whether something will work when it's scaled up. Uncertainty about whether something that works in one context will work in another and Marcella mentioned Howard's lecture where he talks about mid-level theory as a way to think about that and there's uncertainty that originate from the assumptions in methods, all methods have some kind of assumptions uh, which may uh, um, provide some level of uncertainty about whether the conclusions can be acted upon so I think in all of these cases these latter cases we can be more explicit about about that source of uncertainty and, and quantify it And this helps us to think about our reaction, our response to uncertainty based on the consequences, as I described earlier, but it also helps us to think about the way we act. I I think that if you recognize that there's a degree of uncertainty in whether something will work, you'd be more likely, for example, to hedge your bets or try different versions of the same thing, evaluate and adapt.
0: Great. Thank you. You present a framework for making decisions on partial evidence that has implications for the generation of evidence too. How will this benefit research in the area?
2: So I think we can approach the generation of evidence with the idea that the aim is to reduce our uncertainty in the most important outcomes. When we look at a problem, we can collect evidence to try and rule out the serious negative effects. We can do a better job of, when we evaluate a program, capturing and thinking beforehand about what all the possible unintended negative effects could be and, and and assessing them. I think we also have a tendency with monitoring and with evaluation to repeatedly collect data about things that we know a lot about already. And I think this idea suggests that problems can be broken down And you can address different parts of the problem and try and collect data about the parts of the problem that you're uncertain about. For example, with teacher training interventions, part of the question is, will the teachers implement the things that we're training them on? And another part of the question is, will that work? And I think you can get greater certainty about that problem if you address those two issues separately and collect data about them separately.
0: Thanks. Looking ahead, what does the future hold and what more do we need to do to enrich discussions around development, impact and learning?
1: So, as far as study is concerned, um, we see that the future of uh, evaluation uh, work should focus on three main things. The first one of those should be unpacking complex interventions, by which we mean multi-activity and multi-outcome packages, for example, anti-poverty packages or multi-sectoral nutrition interventions. Uh, typically, what happens is that uh, your classic evaluation uh, determines whether these um, complex intervention have or have not had any impact without understanding the processes so how and why that impact has been achieved so one of the things that SEDIL will push for in a big way is to uh, open that black box by unpacking theories of change, understanding implementation and integrating quantitative and qualitative methods tracking pathways of change Uh, the second area where we see um, evaluation going, that should be going is to uh, generalizing evidence by building mid-level theory something both Matthew and I have touched upon uh, during this talk. Um, Something by which we mean that uh, there's little help uh, in just knowing whether an evaluation had had impact or not. Implementers are often left in the dark regarding how an intervention can be adapted, if at all, and implemented in different contexts. So that's what mid-level theory allows you to do. And the final point is that uh, we think there's merits in investing in producing more evidence uh, uh, to uh, influence policy. But also to generate knowledge and evidence that can be used uh, in other areas. So one of the activities again that said it will push for is to develop and test new and old communication tools to make the evidence more impactful. Thanks, Marcella.
2: I think that sounds like a fantastic program of research. I would add a couple of things that that, uh, or maybe highlight a couple of things that I think really come from the presentation I gave. One is to, just to reiterate the use of theory, I think it can be really important in identifying and quantifying some of the uncertainties I was talking about in terms of scaling up and uh, transferring to a new context. I also think that measuring these different kind of uncertainties really is an interdisciplinary effort and it requires disciplines to speak to each other. and Sometimes people, and I think everyone is in favor, uh, at least um, overtly, about interdisciplinary research. And sometimes it sounds to me like uh, a relentlessly positive, you know, can't we all just work together and make the world a better place kind of approach. But I would like it to be much more critical. And I think that each um, each discipline and each approach has a certain set of assumptions about what is what constitutes rigour or what constitutes trustworthiness. And if we think about the ultimate goal being that we want to be more certain about our decisions, we want to have better evidence to inform decisions, then I think a real critical conversation where, say, a quantitative and a qualitative researcher really question each other on whether the evidence they're producing helps us get there or not is one way in which we can really understand this interdisciplinary approach and make it work.
0: Great. That's an interesting point to end on. Thank you very much for listening to the Development Matters podcast. And thank you to Matthew and Marcella for sharing your thoughts and insights with us today.